Hi, and welcome to Intercom on Product. With myself, Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, and Paul Adams, who's our Senior Vice President of Product. Over the time we've worked together, Paul and I have had countless conversations about things like how to run a product org at scale, how to balance customer feedback on your product roadmap, how to spread a product-first mentality throughout a company, how to maintain design excellence in a fast-growing R&D team, and so much more. In this series, we're going to begin sharing some of these discussions with you on a regular basis, covering everything from industry trends, what's hot right now, all the way through to things like, how are we embracing the rise of automation? So if you're a designer, product manager, engineer, researcher, or anything in between, we think you'll find these conversations really valuable. You can subscribe to Intercom on Product on iTunes, you can stream it on Spotify, or even just grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Intercom on Product, episode 14. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Paul Adams. Hello, Paul. Hey, Des. And today's topic is about accelerating growth. There have been two seminal memos that have, in a sense, rocked the tech industry. One was sent last March by Sequoia, and it was explaining the damage that was coming to the industry as a result of coronavirus. And it had a lot of guidance about adapting to change, about managing your burn, all of the sort of classic things you'd expect to do in advance of a global pandemic and all of the things we've gotten quite used to. And then most recently, in March of this year, there was a following memo, which was titled, COVID has accelerated the future, now it's the time to seize it. And in it, the guidance from Sequoia to their same CEOs was, the current moment on our road to the recovery represents a massive opportunity. And if you feel confident about your business post-vaccine, now is the time to carefully step on the gas or a step on the accelerator pedal if of course you're driving an electric car and in intercom and elsewhere we've been thinking about what that actually means for like startups for like you know seed stage companies all the way through to like you know mid and late stage companies what does it mean to just generally accelerate and how do you control acceleration in a way that it's not haphazard and just kind of let's just throw more heads at our existing plans should we think bigger should we plan bigger in terms of like research and development or R&D or generally the product and engineering functions, the people who produce your software, this really is a question of investability. It asks you, do you have areas where you know the work is working and you can just increase the amount you're doing? Do you have areas where there's work you had not yet planned because you didn't have the capacity, but at this time, there's an opportunity to invest, get the capacity and take it on to effectively accelerate your future roadmap? versus just doing what you were currently planning faster. And then, of course, just speculation too. There's like things that bets you might take, but you definitely wouldn't have taken in the midst of a pandemic. Paul, my question to you is simply thoughts. I know, I'm joking. Uh, in, <laughs> in, in, in this case, my question is really, what have we been up to in this regard? Yeah, it's a fascinating time, actually. You know, there's some kind of quote that I'll misquote around when you've got scarce resources, it's much easier to be focused. It's like a scarcity mm-hmm. of resources is a good thing. And, you know, if there's an abundance of something, like an abundance of capital or whatever, like there is now a little bit in places, it, de- it definitely can lead teams and companies to just pick things they wouldn't have normally picked in any kind of other scenario. So we've been very attuned to that to make sure that we don't kind of, I guess, in Sequoia's words, seize the initiative or whatever it was, seize the moment too quickly and have a measured approach. Or seize so, the wrong moment even, right? Like just, see, yeah. just jump on any old idea. Yeah, that, and that's the danger that like, you know, some someone's kind of favorite idea 
wins because there was no other kind of ideas that made it to the start line or whatever. So there's different levers, you know, that we've been thinking about for accelerating our growth and like areas of, of investability, if you like. And to kind of like start at the zoomed out level, you know, the different levers that you can have, any business can have, start with, of course, hiring more people and building more teams. You know, mm-hmm. if you've got a good setup, then more teams equals more product and more product equals more marketing and more sales and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so you can hire more and hire faster. You can find people in other ways. So you can acquire. You could mm-hmm. acquire companies just to acquire the talent within the company. You could acquire companies because their product is strategically aligned with yours. Uh, or you could acquire a company that has a new type of product that you think is going to be useful in the future. And it's kind of a future strategic alignment or whatever. Um, we've been focused mostly on looking at how we can grow our team and you know what might new teams do and what might new people do. And then in that regard, we've been looking at our current strategy and asking ourselves, how can we accelerate our current strategy? So that is more people working on the same strategy that we have today. Mm-hmm. So for example, something that we might have built next year could be built this year instead. And then are there other areas of adjacency to our strategy that we will probably get to in the fullness of time, but they're not directly in our strategy today. And yet now might be a good time to hit the accelerator on that part of the, the I think the time. interesting thing about that latter category and for our listeners, like the the goal of this conversation is really to expose ways to think about accelerating investment in your own businesses. But the interesting thing about the latter category you just articulated there, Paul, is like it's it's really a question of time horizons. It reminds me of that famous quote. I think it's a philosopher who said like societies grow great when old men plant trees whose shade still never sit in. Mm. And it's like that idea of like building something now such that it can pay off in like year two or year three or year four, which is a hard mindset to have, especially in startups where you have this like essential eternal paranoia that your company might not exist in two or three years or whatever. So it's hard to make those longer term bets. But uh, Take, for example, like somebody who manages product at a startup and they're being told by their CEO or whoever their manager is, yo, we need to accelerate. I think the the obvious and easiest lever to pull in a sense is get me more people doing the things that we're doing. So that is a pretty, you know, the only challenge there is like your recruiting capacity, right? Like it's, you're basically saying, we've got 10 people building X, let's put 20 on it and hopefully X will come in sooner. I realize this is the whole man month fallacy thing, but like in general, when you have a lot of parallelizable work, let's say you're trying to build like the Android app and the iPhone app and the desktop app, three teams can tackle that app, that, you know, one team each versus one team sequentially for like whatever would be three or six quarters or whatever. So I think like just doing more of what we're currently doing is the obvious thing to do. And what's the payoff in doing that? It's just ultimately our product or more of our product hits the market sooner, which means maybe we win more deals, we can charge more money or whatever, right? Yeah, most of these things, or at least most people's go to, I think is revenue. So like yeah. different ways you can accelerate your revenue. So I think when people are asked, especially from like maybe a leadership team or an exec team, hey, we need to accelerate. I think what they mean accelerate is accelerate business growth which mm-hmm. usually comes down to revenue, yeah. whether, you know, if you're a SaaS company, that could be like new customer acquisition or it could be expansion or, you know, even reduce yeah. contraction, reduce churn, it, it, you know, obviously you grow your revenue as well. Yeah. And so there, that's kind of like one category of thing. And then there's a whole other category though, which is back to the kind of time horizon thing a little bit, you know, the strategic investment that might not have a direct revenue implication today, but don't yeah. will have in years to come. Uh, that's the like plant the tree today, you know, to kind mm-hmm. of sit in the shade tomorrow. 
and they are much harder to defend when you have revenue, short-term revenue ideas on the table too. And uh, so a question to help our listeners, like if, if you're told let's accelerate and you have, okay, at what point should you stop just like dumping heads into the current strategy? Like is, it, is there a sense of like diminishing returns or is there a sense of like, well, at some point we need to start growing the next strategy, like building the next generation of the product. And like, there's no point in like, you know, over polishing where we have been. At some point we know that we need to move towards a new, whatever might be a new model for like help desks or a new way to think about like, you know, whatever, like design collaboration, whatever your vertical is. Is there a sense you have of like, at what point are we like good enough on our existing strategy and it's time to start investing in, in next year's stuff? Yeah, it's a very hard question to answer. Something that's generalizable to most businesses. I think it's very specific to the company and the stage they're at. You know, if you're like missing revenue targets and there are kind of implications for how fast you can grow next year, like how many new people yeah. you can hire and, you might want to like optimize for for immediate revenue, whereas if things are going well and you're beating your targets, and as a result you can kind of continue to invest in sustainable headcount growth next year and things like that, then I think there's more opportunity to bet on something that will take place tomorrow. And so I, I think it really does depend on the business. I I, I health I think most businesses fall in the middle of those two things probably where they're not like growing like wild, crazy wild mm. growth, nor are they like about to, you know, fold or whatever. And they're kind of like on death's door trying to stay alive. Yeah. And Those so people for... aren't listening to our podcast is my guess. <laughs> exactly. They shouldn't be. They, they, are. they have better things to be doing. Also, <laughs> yeah. if they were listening to it, they wouldn't have got into this circumstance, but that's a separate one. <laughs> yeah, this the podcast for everyone in the middle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if you're in the middle, you know, the easy answer is that you need a balance of both. Uh, and so the balance could be like 50, 50, 60, yeah. 40. It could even be 70, 30. Like we've had 70, 30 here at Intercom on both sides yeah. at different times. Yeah. And there's another variable I, I think we intuitively track, which is sometimes it's like, like some of our products are like, you know, closer to table stakes than others. And one challenge we have is like, sometimes it's just, it's there is, I you know, I don't want to really like sound, you know, too extreme here, but there's a sense of the product's basically great. It just needs to be marketed a lot to extract a lot of revenue out of it. And then there are other products where it's like, hmm, I wouldn't dial up the marketing just yet. We're still making this whole thing make sense. We're still like uh, working working through what we're hearing in terms of customer feedback, early churn signs, et cetera, like engagement's low and a few pieces of it. So I think you're trying to balance like, uh, is it a case that the market just needs to hear about the product and everything takes care of itself after that? In which case, from an R&D perspective, maybe it's time to be like, okay, let's start thinking about the next generation here while marketing is like firing up on like demand generation, on growing the brand of the product, et cetera. And then there are other times where you're like, nope, the product's definitely the problem here. So we need to actually get in here and like, you know, go hard on our existing strategy. So there's some interesting time horizon there that you have to like think about, which is like, are we good today in the short term, in which case R&D needs to be working on the future? Or is the, is the short term like not great, in which case we need to start like prioritizing that instead? So um, there's, there's a measure of performance there. Could I ask like, how how do you articulate, like it's very easy to say, if you give me an extra team, boss, I'm going to tackle churn reasons one through five, and that'll increase our gross revenue retention. It'll reduce our churn, potentially increase expansion. It'll like it'll hit the bottom line. And realistically, if you give me those heads today, I could probably actually do that in a manner that would affect this calendar year. And like you, you know, usually when that when the work is quite like tactical and practical, and it's like people are quitting because you can't merge whatever like projects. Okay. Let's build a merge project feature. That'll be a team for two quarters. You know, you can actually see that it's quite a responsive feedback loop. 
the other stuff you're articulating, this sort of more next year stuff, what's the best way to try and explain to a business why to invest? And just again, from, you know, like if I was to play a, the role of a, a mock CFO here, what I'd say is like, hey, Paul, your pitch is for me to give you 14 more heads. That's going to cost like, you know, salary times 14, whatever that might be, like 3 million a year or something like that, all in. If I'm going to add that to the burn of the company and project this forward, next year we'll be sitting here burning a lot more cash. How can you articulate the value of what you're working on such that this looks like a financially prudent decision? Like, how are you going to turn that cash into code? And then how can I then turn that code back into cash is kind of the question. Uh, how, how does one tackle that discussion from a product perspective? How do you articulate the value of the future potentially speculative work you might be doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think there's a whole bunch of things in here we could explore. One is, I'll quickly maybe go through a few and then we can dive in deeper. One is that this is absolutely art and science. You know, th- this is not like cold, hard science, like maths, like, oh, hey, you know, thanks, boss, for the 15 heads. Here's like, here's my mathematical formula. And so one of the ways we've been thinking about this is, you know, if we invest in X to get Y in time frame Z or Z, if you're in the States. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what is X? What are we investing in? And what is Y? What's the return? Yeah. And there, there's some nice middle ground on the return where you do need to build a business case for it in, in that you, you need to have evidence. Unless you're knowingly taking a wild bet at something, like a big wild swing, you know, there needs to be a kind of a business case behind it and some due diligence done and so on. But also, I've seen like business cases from other companies and other companies I've worked in prior to Intercom, like kind of you know, big public companies. And the, you know, someone will go, go off into the woods and write a 40-page business case on why we should build the new thing or invest in the new team. And like the... The 40-page report took as long as it would to nearly hire the team and you know yeah. get them to build the product. So like you can overthink this. And and I really would encourage you. Which ironically to... comes at the cost of acceleration in a sense, right? Like yeah. you've been told to accelerate and your first move is to head off into the forest and produce this like epic 40-page doc that no one opens. And, yeah. and and for bonus marks, as is as is the move right now, and a tree era loom to go with it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe just the loom. Yeah. Uh, here's my 40 minute loom on. What, you know. Yeah, you can't search, but best, but just trust me, it's really good. Yeah. Michael Bay directed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th- th- there's a middle ground here for sure. And I think the reason people write the 40 page docs and the 40 minute looms is because there's a bit of risk aversion. You know, like um, to some degree, if you're being asked, hey, here's 15 heads, we're going to accelerate growth, over to you. There's risk in, inherent in what you decide to do. You know, will it work? Will it not work? And like you and I know, and I'm sure most of our listeners know, you know, building software isn't a kind of like home run type endeavor. It's uh, get it out, see what works, learn, talk to customers, iterate. Like it's a ongoing endeavor, a day by day, week by week endeavor. And so like a lot of the stuff we do at Intercom, at least, you know, in terms of how, how we think about our principles for building software, it's like get out early, ship early, learn, iterate. I think the same is true in this in this case. You know, you need to do a bit of due diligence on the different types of products or features. And so that could mean like, hey, put your new product line. How much, you know, how much do we believe? Like, what do we have to believe? You know, we, yeah. could, we could charge X, you know, number of existing customers might use it as, as Y, like roughly ballpark, you know, and then you're like, okay, how much of the team cost headcount and salaries and comp and all that kind of stuff. And you know, some sense of like, what will we get for the investment over what time frame? 
but you can overthink this thing for sure. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode 2 of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our Chief Product Officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type customer experience. It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. I think there's uh, an interesting piece I observe. It's definitely a lot, a lot of startups that I, I chat to. And I see it in Intercom from time to time too, is the idea that any positive investment is in some sense a good investment. And I think that's like just fundamentally wrong. Like, you know, if all else being equal, if you give me a million dollars and I have like, and I say, don't worry, I'm going to give you back $1.1 million next year of recurring revenue. That might sound like an absolute home run. Why wouldn't you do it? You do that all day. But the reality is you don't have an infinite stock of these things and you definitely don't have an infinite stock of engineers or or like leadership bandwidth or ability to market or sell. So like if you're going to you know produce something, even if you got it cheap in a sense, you're still going to have to market the hell out of it. You're still picking to do it rather than accelerating your current strategy or any other idea out there. And then your sales reps are still on the call trying to sell this like how would you say, like this ticky-tacky add-on or whatever versus something substantive that would go on to become a really like, a really sort of rich new vein of revenue. So I think like the mistake a lot of folks make is that there's like some perceptual like chasm you just have to cross, which is the project would be ROI positive in two years. I, I, like as if that's the only thing that you need to do. But I, I do think like a lot of folks, they miss the fact that like, hang on, as is today, we might spend $10 million a year on building software. And for that, we produce 20, 30, $40 million of new revenue every year. So that's like a pretty impressive ratio. If we start doing these one for 1.1 swaps, we're damaging that ratio and we're actually becoming a less effective sort of engine of, of like R&D because now we're just, fun, now we're now producing stuff that yes, it's positive, but it's like no longer like performing at anywhere near the same rate as it was. So it's So it's not just enough to be like, it cost a mill and it'll get us back a mill soon. Like you have to have some sense of, is this genuinely a substantial opportunity for us? Or is it the type of like, you know, as I said, like the type of ticky tacky thing that like, ideally you wouldn't have to build at all because like, you know, one of the benefits of Intercom and m most of our listeners, I'm sure at this point is there is a platform element there where like, there are like, say small features that are, will be missing in Intercom and missing in every other help desk opportunity. And in those cases, when we look at an opportunity of, of, say, something like managing holiday time for your support employees, yes, that's a problem. But it's when we look at that opportunity, we see a pretty narrow window of opportunity. Whereas if someone says, I'm going to build a plugin for Intercom and Zendesk and Freshdesk and Service Desk and all the rest of the Desky gang, and at the end of it all, like 
I'll nail this job for them, then there's just a bigger platform opportunity there. And I guess what I'm saying is like, there's, you know, in general in software, it only gets good when someone perpetually invests in it. And big companies can't justify perpetually investing in small features. So in, in an ideal world, this is what a platform does. It lets you sort of say, there are small things that not everyone needs, and we'll shell that out to the platform, to the community of people who build on Intercom, and let them build a living out of that. And that way, our customers actually get a better offering. But just to go back to the master point, like, you know, it's not enough simply to clear some sort of ROI sort of, you know, high jump. It's, it's genuinely, it has to be a meaningful, like ideally trajectory defining piece of work for the company. And this is why um, accelerating current strategy is usually a good idea because you're basically saying like, you know, in, in the case of Intercom, our core product, you know, is like, I'll give you an old revenue figure just because I don't know what the current ones are. Uh, it was once and, and definitely is above $150 million worth of revenue, right? And like, as a result, getting better at that, both strengthening it, improving it, making it like, you know, uh, even more attentive, even more, even more expansive. That's always going to be a good bet. And for us to consider, say, a new line of business or a new substantial offering on the platform, it needs to like meaningfully change the posture of that current offering. It can't just be a, a, like a small addition onto it because, as I said, it's actually going to be sucking away from the much healthier, stronger, faster growing piece of, of the puzzle. So for our listeners, like when it comes to like articulating like, hey, if you give me a couple of teams today, I can make something happen that will probably pay off next year and realistically probably really pay off the following year when we get all the like retained revenue true, et cetera. And we're starting to stack the bricks on top of each other. I think like the articulation of the value, yes, you, you say it's art and science. And I guess one way of saying that is there's like there's raw intuition based on customer feedback, tacit knowledge, knowing what's possible technologically, uh, knowing what's changed technologically. That's half the battle is like seeing the opportunity. And then the other half is like the science piece, which is like, let's like, you know, if we're thinking about building something new for support people, how many support people do we have? And how is that figure growing over the next five years? And how big is the support industry overall? And what's the current share of wallet? And has anyone ever asked for this? And if they haven't asked for it, have we ever tried pitching it to somebody? And do we have a customer advisory board that we could go out to and see what they think of it? Or you're trying to look for like all of these like inputs to inform the science side of the bet, which is just, is there definitely something big here? And, and if you're stretching, I think you, it's usually a good warning sign that there might not be. Like, So if you're trying to like really beg, borrow, and steal little bits of reasons because you can't point to a big reason, it's usually a sign that the product is per perhaps not in a great position. Yeah, I think as well as that, it's not just the product, it's the strategy. And so as just as an example, you know, one of the things you said there were like warning signs. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. As an example, you know, we're, we're kind of going through a, something similar right now in Intercom where we're kind of looking at new areas we might invest. And so, for example, to make this concrete for people listening, that could be you know, we, we have a current area of the product we don't have a team working full-time on. Maybe we should have a team on that. Or, hey, this part of the product over here does have a team working on it. Maybe we need two teams. And like, what mm -hmm. would they do? And so we kind of went through this exercise uh, uh, looking for these kind of big areas of additional investment. And we came up with 14. And, you know, there's no way we're going to staff 14. Of course, we might yeah. staff anywhere between one and three or something smaller than that. And the 14 are, are different types of things, you know, back to the, the earlier part of the conversation, like some are long-term strategy investments, some are, you know, shorter term gaps that we need to fill. And the reason we fairly quickly come up with 14 investable ideas, 
like these 14 have, have a bit of art, but they do have science, there's customer evidence, there's data that says this would be a, a, a good investment and a medium to large size return. It's because we have right now in Intercom, I would say like some of the clearest strategy we've ever had in the history of the company. And so like any company, we, you know, we'll oscillate at different times between having absolute clarity in our strategy and then revisiting it. I, it so just kind of ages out, like the one strategy starts to age and you kind of need to refresh. And we're, we're right at the peak of a strong refresh, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's very clear to us what we want to do over the next couple of years. And so it was easy for us to come up with 14 investable ideas. And I think that, you know, if anyone out there is trying to do something similar, and maybe they've raised a recent round and they're kind of wondering what to do with it and so on. It should be fairly easy to come up with, I would say, like five to 10 anyway, investable ideas that, that feel pretty big. And it's a warning sign if you can't. And the warning sign might be, hey, you know, strategy refresh time or mm-hmm. something else that's amiss. And without doing that core kind of root cause fix, you will end up building something random, a bit random. Or, or you'll do one of those, like, as I said, like, you know, tactical, practical easy yeah. money, low, low impact, type, like sn- snacking type opportunities. Um, I'd like to go back to your earlier piece, just again, to help folks who are in the middle of this exercise. You said like, we want to invest X to get Y by Z. So X is the cost. So it's like, and that cost is going to be, f- you, you want to fully bake that. So it, so that includes, it's not just the engineers and the designer and the PM. It's, is there an adjacent ask in marketing? You know, if X is big enough, are there like ancillary asks that follow headcounts, such as like HR or recruiting or whatever? Like uh, at some point you need to add incrementally. Then there's also X as in like you want to do like sales training. You need to like make sure that everyone's up to speed on like the opportunity. So that's the X. What types of Ys? Uh, talk us through like what, what when you say to get to get Y, Y obviously the, the dumb answer here is like it's, it's money, right? So you want to invest money to get make money. But could you give us like specifics of, of what like, you know, you know, I think one of the ones you said earlier was like an obvious one would be something like, you know, more customers or like maybe more money from the same customers. But talk us through your sort of thinking there. Yeah. On the X, there's other things too, like that we've bumped into here and there. The X can be things like, uh, is our office big enough? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, there's actually a whole bunch of kind of other capital considerations and so on. On the this XI. is going on in London for us right now. I mean, not yeah. that our listeners care, but like, yeah, this is an actual active concern for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do we have enough desks? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so on the Y side, yeah. So you know, we're 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 a subscription company, like many of our listeners are, I'm sure as well. And and there's other types of models out there that'll probably you know fairly easy translate. So there's different types of revenue for us, right? We can on the Y side, we can track new business you know, new customers that have never considered us before. And now we have a new thing and therefore they're interested. So that's kind of one, one dimension of yeah. why, you know, those customers might commit a higher prices. So if we've, you know, for selling apples and oranges, now we've pears, you might yeah. buy a pear along with the apple and orange when they come in the door. And just to be super precise, like when we say attract new, new customers. What we mean is we're not talking about building like a whole new product, like a project management app. We're just talking about like, Hey, you know, we don't have a great penetration in like, I don't know, like, let's say like healthcare or like airlines or whatever. All right, let's build stuff to make us really good for them. That'd be one, that'd be just one random way of we, or we could attract new customers with software. So same product, but for new customers, right? Yeah, a good example. Yeah, to make this concrete again, like HIPAA compliance is a recent example for Intercom where, you know, we shipped a solution around HIPAA and now healthcare companies who couldn't consider us before can. Yeah, exactly. So, so generating new business, new customers who just weren't able to sign up before. And the ratio, or my preferred ratio for success, and I know I keep intervening here, but there's just so much to this, but like, it's what you're looking for is like small additions to the product that result in disproportionately large impacts to the product market. 
right? That like so it's like HIPAA wasn't a huge piece of work relative to the huge industry it opened for us. And that that that's the sort of opportunities you want to be looking for here. Yeah, and both of those things are kind of a scale. You know, on mm-hmm. both sides of that ratio, there's a scale. You you could decide that, hey, we're gonna set a team off for a year today mm-hmm. because the other side of that year is an even bigger opportunity than the HIPAA one was. Yes, 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 absolutely. So yeah, so other types of things here on the revenue side, you know, if you're a subscription company like us or indeed e-commerce, you know, repeat customers matter, right? Or Mm -hmm. are people continuing to pay you matter? And so some of the other ways in which you can kind of the why side, the the return on the investment are things like expanding, you know, what your customers spend. So more money from the same customers. More money from the same customers, exactly. You know, reducing churn uh, so customers don't quit, increasing satisfaction, yeah. Uh, which you know could be a leading indicator for churn down the road, but possibly word of mouth and virality as well. Like if people love your product, it helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So it's a kind of a whole one. Ha- one kind of side of this is all, all of those business metrics. Another side are, of this are things like you know some of the stuff we mentioned earlier, strategic bets you might want to make, mm-hmm. extending differentiation. So you know on the podcast a, a while ago we spoke about differentiation and table stakes features. Yeah, and uh, getting that balance right is really important too. So, you know, the kind of general gist of that was you need to be both differentiated to be attractive, yeah. so different and better than the competition to be attractive to buy in the first place. Mm-hmm. But then customers have come to expect these industry standards, table stakes features for any given category, and typically a startup's journey is one where they're highly differentiated yeah. and don't have all the table stakes. Yeah, uh, which is very normal because if you are not highly differentiated as a startup, there's no reason to choose you in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, rebalancing that can matter. And rebalancing can, can work both ways. You know, you may start off being highly differentiated and then over time you need to fill in the industry standard features. And then the competition catches up. The bigger companies start to copy what you do and you mm-hmm. need to invest in differentiation again. Yeah. Uh, so that's another whole kind of strategic bet, medium term, long term differentiation. Yeah. I've heard that referred to as like the gingerbread man type product yeah. strategy and, said, and, and there's some truth to it like you just like people will catch up with you if you don't run faster than them and so there is a sense of from a product strategy perspective like like we, we've seen this like like our messenger periodically gets ripped off and we periodically have to like put more distance between like us and the pixel copies and it's just a, a continuous race of a sort and mm-hmm. uh, and if we, if we were to ever be like no no we think the messenger is good enough then bang that's a commodity and then commodities become table stakes and then it's really really hard to break out again so that's why you'll always see us invest in the messenger exactly uh, and this is you know I mentioned this earlier this is the trap i think a lot of people fall into which is when you have a choice between extender differentiation or mm-hmm. drive shorter term revenue mm-hmm. it it just takes guts to pick the former you know, yeah, to, yeah. to invest in the strategic. But if you don't, it's very short-termist. If you don't, you yeah. risk being, you know, obsolete in the medium yeah. term. I often refer to that as like you sacrifice the decade to hit the quarter. And yeah. I think that's, that's the real risk there. And I think at times, like say, like last year, I bet a lot of companies were making decisions like that just because of times of conservation and, and like a fear, like you just generally tend to make safer, more sure-ting moves. And it's it's always going to be more. You could always have more evidence of we lost seven deals because we don't have such and such a feature. So like it sounds like that if you build such and such a feature, Bing, you get those those seven deals back or the next seven that look like them. And that like in a short term perspective, that's the right thing to do. But if that's all you do, like if if you literally just consistently make short term decisions, you'll have no long term plan. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to cut both ways. By the way, 
like the uh, yeah, the kind of principle on this in times of scarcity and in times of you know lo- lots of whatever mm-hmm. is capital floating around you know like we have a little bit today uh, in these kind of two extreme environments the hardest path honestly sometimes is just stay stay the course mm-hmm. like stay the course stay the course like this is our strategy and yes things are changing you know whether it's you know the economy is contracting or you know there's a pandemic or you know it's yeah. very hard obviously like there's, there's business cuts that need to happen and, and necessity mm-hmm. but beyond that like it's very hard sometimes to stay the course when things around you are rapidly changing and same is true right now you know like it's easier for us to not stay the course because you kind of have you know what i call the kind of shiny new ball syndrome mm-hmm. you know it's like hey we have a great strategy Nothing's really changed to make us revisit our strategy again. We just revisited it and we think it's really good. But hey, there's like money and shiny new balls and new things to do and excitement and people's attention can like drift. And, you know, so staying the course, I think, is actually oftentimes the hardest thing to do on both sides. It reminds me of that. uh, I think it's a Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger quote, like just never interrupt compound interest, which is like, I think just like when something's working, Sometimes the best thing you can do is literally let it be. And the other thing it reminds me of is um, people always say about competitors, like every single one of our listeners has had a problem where competitors show up overnight and they look exactly like you or whatever. The, I remember a friend said to me when we were going through our version of this, the competitors don't kill you. What hurts you most is the things that they make you do to yourself. I think mm-hmm. like that's the real risk is like you can, you can tend to like at any time of extreme change, be it pandemic or be it extreme economic recovery or an entry of new competitor, or whatever, it makes you question things that maybe you shouldn't actually question. Or at least, you know, you should at least be open to the idea that we were actually right the first time. So yeah, I think that there's something there. Okay, moving towards wrap up here, like if I was to sort of, I'll call out a few of the takeaways we've been kind of both internally very practically playing out this and then also trying to write it up for this episode. The things that are on my mind, like for PMs out there trying to accelerate as per Sequoia, trying to say like big opportunity, let's go hard. I think one piece is don't get sloppy just because there's a lot of headcount floating around. So it's very easy to think, right, we should do everything now because the, you know, the, the coffers are open. Let's start pulling in heads and like uh, every idea that we ever had that uh, we put on the shelf because they're a bit boring. They're all good ideas now. Well, no, they're not. They, you probably, they're probably on the shelf for a reason. So you should be willing to interrogate them. And part of your business case, should you should definitely make sure that you have a good sense of what is the hurdle you need to clear. Simply paying for itself, I think, is a really unambitious goal for a lot of, uh, a lot of investments. So I'd, I'd sort of advise people to have a really strong business case that isn't just around, we'll make our money back. We'll make our money back is the sort of thinking that makes sense during a pandemic, but it's not the sort of thinking that makes sense after it. And lastly, I'd maybe just call out, you're like X, Y, Z, like we'll invest X. So what is the X? X is how many, how much investment do you need from a product perspective, but everything else, like, do we need a bigger office? Do we need more recruiting? Do we need more marketing, sales, et cetera? That's the X. To get Y, we talked about all different types of Ys, which is like everything from like logo growth, more revenue from the same customers, less churn, more satisfaction, more strategic differentiation, risk mitigation, all that. And then Z is this idea of time horizons, like what, you know, what's good for the quarter isn't necessarily good for the decade and getting your sort of getting your timeframes right for where you're investing. And that's sort of X, Y, Z. I feel like I've kind of taken everything now and there's not much left for you, Paul, but I'll see what you, what do you want to add to my summary? Yeah, I'd add one more thing, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> thankfully I have something else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> root your decisions in your strategy. 
you right. know, don't get distracted. Like, stay the course. If your strategy was good a month ago and now you've just suddenly raised a big round or you suddenly there's a lot of capital to work with, stay the course. Stay, you know, root, like don't radically start changing things just because of the, you know, buoyant times we might live in and the economic recovery and so on. But I think that's really, really important and very, very easy for people to lose sight of. I totally agree. Okay, let's leave it there. This has been Intercom Product, episode 14. Thank you, Paul, and take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Intercom on Product podcast. For more content, go to our blog at intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. 